the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network presents Vatican Insider with Joan Lewis. Each week, Joan brings you news from inside the Vatican and the church around the world, as well as interviews and answers to your questions. Now, here's the host of Vatican Insider, Joan Lewis. Welcome to a new edition of Vatican Insider. After the news segment, don't move that dial. Stay right here for a special I've prepared on the Seven Sorrows of Mary as a prelude to Holy Week. Perhaps we rarely think of the Seven Sorrows of Mary, but there are many times during the year when reflections on those sorrows can be useful and inspiring. In fact, the final four of those seven sorrows are all related to Christ's passion and death. So, in this Lenten season, as a lead-up to the passion, let's take a look. Maybe I should first ask, can you name the seven sorrows of Mary? Did you know that Our Lady revealed seven promises to St. Bridget of Sweden in the 14th century for those who recite seven Hail Marys daily while reflecting on her tears and sorrows? So stay tuned for that, but first some news highlights. Sunday, March 19th at the Angelus, Pope Francis reflected on the day's gospel, after which he recited the Marian prayer with the faithful in St. Peter's Square. In post-Angelus reflections, he expressed closeness to those affected by a powerful earthquake in Ecuador, and he prayed for the victims. He once again asked for prayers for war-torn Ukraine, and he greeted dads celebrating Father's Day. March 19th, the traditional feast of St. Joseph, is Father's Day in Italy. Monday, March 20th, Pope Francis addressed Italy's National Union of Traveling Attractions, saying such attractions participate in the proclamation of the gospel through the simple and pure joy they bring to all. In the villages and towns where attractions such as carousels and rides are temporarily set up, he said, while distracting children and adults from the little worries that beset daily life, they offer moments of pure joy that can help dispel doubts and fears in a world often filled with darkness and conflict. Tuesday, March 21st. The Dicastery for Promoting Integral Human Development announced the theme for the 109th World Day of Migrants and Refugees to be celebrated September 24, 2023. That theme is Free to Choose Whether to Migrate or to Stay. Now, Pope Francis chose this theme with the intention of fostering reflection on a right that has not yet been codified at the international level, and that is the right not to have to migrate, or in other words, the right to be able to remain in one's homeland. Wednesday, March 22nd. Addressing the faithful in St. Peter's Square for the weekly general audience, Pope Francis spoke of evangelization, and he focused on St. Paul VI's apostolic exhortation, Evangelii Nunciandi. He said evangelization is more than just simple doctrinal and moral transmission, but rather it is first and foremost the witness of the personal encounter with Jesus Christ, the incarnate word in which salvation is fulfilled. The witness of Christ, continued the Pope, is at the same time the first means of evangelization and an essential condition for its efficacy so that the proclamation of the gospel may be fruitful. All of us can be messengers of this gospel. At the end of the general audience, the Holy Father reminded the faithful that Saturday, March 25th, is the Feast of the Annunciation. 
Last year, he consecrated Russia and Ukraine to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And Wednesday, he said, I invite every believer and community, especially prayer groups, to renew the act of consecration to Our Lady every March 25th, so that she who is Mother might preserve us all in unity and peace. Before the general audience, in an area just outside the Paul VI Hall, Pope Francis blessed a bell titled Voice of the Unborn. This was donated by the Polish Yes to Life Foundation in Zambia. The bell, in fact, will be brought to Infant Jesus Cathedral in Lusaka, and from there it will travel to other cities in the country. The voice of the unborn bells are already ringing in Poland, Ukraine, and Ecuador. Other countries have expressed interest in the initiative. Thursday, March 23rd, Pope Francis addressed the bishops of the European Union as they meet in plenary session. He highlighted the two great dreams of Europe's founding fathers, the dream of unity and the dream of peace. On the first point, he said, It is clear that European unity cannot be a uniform, homogenizing unity but one that respects and values the singularities, the peculiarities of the peoples and cultures that make it up. The challenge, he said, is therefore unity in diversity. On the dream of peace, Francis said, today's history needs men and women animated by the dream of a united Europe in the service of peace. Also Thursday, Pope Francis addressed participants in a two-day course on St. Alphonsus at the Alphonsian Academy in Rome. The Pope said moral theologians, missionaries, and confessors are called to enter into a living relationship with the people of God, taking on especially the cry of the least to understand their real difficulties, to look at existence from their viewpoint, and to offer them answers that reflect the light of the Father's eternal love. And again Thursday, Pope Francis emphasized the importance of the sacrament of confession in an address to participants in the 33rd Course on the Internal Form, organized each year by the Apostolic Penitentiary, the Vatican Tribunal competent in all manners regarding the internal form and indulgences as expressions of divine mercy. The Pope said priestly availability for the sacrament of penance, also known as reconciliation, is shown in certain evangelical attitudes, beginning with welcoming everyone without prejudice and including listening with the ear of the heart, generously absolving penitents and accompanying the penitential journey of those who approach the sacrament. Also Thursday. In a meeting with Cardinal Marcello Semeraro, Prefect of the Dicastery for the Causes of Saints, Pope Francis approved decrees related to six new venerables, three religious women, two laywomen, and one Salesian missionary priest. The laywomen are Teresa Enriquez de Alvaredo, a Spanish-born laywoman and mother of four, and Maria Domenica Lazzeri, an Italian-born laywoman and stigmatist. Friday, March 24th, the Pope and members of the Roman Curia attended the fourth Lenten sermon preached in the Paul VI Hall by Cardinal Raniero Cantalamessa, preacher of the papal household. He spoke on the theme, Mysterium Fidei, and the liturgy. Also Friday, Pope Francis received the bishops of Colombia on their ad limina visit. 
Friday morning, Francis welcomed the families of Polish miners who lost their lives in two coal mine incidents on April 20th and 23rd, 2022. Eight miners died in the first incident and 10 in the April 23rd incident. Dozens were injured and some miners remain buried in the mines. The Pope told the families, Before you, I don't know what to say. Silence is compassionate. Losing a husband, a father, in an accident like this is terrible. And also the fact that some are still buried there in the mines. He said prayer sometimes in these moments, it seems that God is not listening to us. There's the silence of the dead and the silence of God. But remember, he said, in the darkness the Lord is close to us. We don't know how, but he is close to us. The Holy Father then spoke individually with family members. Also on Friday, the Vatican released the appeal for the annual collection for the Holy Land, sponsored by the Dicastery for Oriental Churches. Also released was the annual message from the Dicastery for Interreligious Dialogue to Muslims on the occasion of the month of Ramadan and for the Feast of Id al-Fitr, 1444, 2023 A.D. Those are the week's news highlights, but now, stay here for my special on the Seven Sorrows of Mary. Welcome to the Q&A. This week, answering a question that came via email, I explain what an equivalent canonization is. Very early in his pontificate, Pope Francis issued a decree called an equivalent canonization, declaring one of his favorite Jesuits, Blessed Peter Faber, a saint. In equivalent canonization, a procedure described by Pope Benedict XIV in the 18th century, the Pope waives the usual judicial process and declares that a blessed liturgical cult is extended to the universal church. Benedict XVI canonized St. Hildegard of Bingen by equivalent canonization in 2012. And earlier, Pope Francis had done the same with St. Angela of Foligno. Equivalent canonization, though not frequent, is not rare in the Church, wrote Cardinal Angelo Amato, Prefect of the Congregation for Causes of Saints, in an interview published in L'Osservatore Romano at the time of the Holy Father's decree. Cardinal Amato said three elements are necessary for an equivalent canonization. A long-time cult, the constant and common attestation of credible historians of the Blessed's virtues, and an uninterrupted reputation for wonders obtained through the Blessed's intercession. All three, he said, were present in St. Peter Faber's case. EWTN, helping people grow in their love and understanding of God. First of all, I'd like to tell you that this is the first time I've ever heard your program. It's actually the first time I've ever heard EWTN radio. I watch it on television all the time. But something told me today to turn this on and I found you. I will tune in again. Are you ready to spread your wings? Wings is the weekly newsletter that's packed with exclusive news, program information, features, and updates of all that's going on at the Global Catholic Network. To sign up, go to EWTN.com, click subscribe, enter your name and email address, and you'll start getting your wings every week. 
Get your wings today. It's the weekly newsletter from EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. Hi, I'm Doug Keck. This is an EWTN bookmark brief speaking with Father Michael Geisler about his book, How Christ Saves Souls with Us, The Mystery of Co-Redemption, published by Emmaus Road, available through the EWTN Religious Catalog, EWTNRC.com, all things Catholic. Father Geisler, why did you decide to write this book? Doug, quite frankly, because I think people needed to hear something like this. They don't have to suffer the anxiety and depression and problems of our society. They have a solution, and that solution is Jesus Christ acting in them, which is what co-redemption really means. Jesus redeems, but somehow he works through us to help others. And I just wanted to write a book to show how exciting and interesting that is. Father Michael Geisel, the book How Christ Saves Souls with Us mystery of co-redemption. Emmaus Road, available through our catalog, of course. This has been an EW10 Bookmark Brief. Thanks for stopping by. We'll hope to see you next time. Welcome back to Vatican Insider. Here's Joan Lewis. Welcome back to Vatican Insider and to a special I've prepared on the Seven Sorrows of Mary as a prelude to Holy Week. By the way, this is also the weekend that we celebrate Mary in another way with the Feast of the Annunciation on March 25th. Perhaps we rarely think of the seven sorrows of Mary, but there are many times during the year when reflections on those sorrows can be useful and inspiring. In fact, the final four of those sorrows are all related to Christ's passion and death. So in this Lenten season, as a lead-up to the passion, let's take a look. An article by Katie Yoder for Catholic News Agency drew my attention for the beautiful reflections of Pope Francis. Katie wrote that during his visit to Slovakia in September 2021, Pope Francis's final day was September 15th, the Feast of Our Lady of Sorrows. The Pope highlighted Mary's response to these sorrows by saying, Mary, Mother of Sorrows, remains at the foot of the cross. She simply stands there. She does not run away or try to save herself or find ways to alleviate her grief. Here is the proof of true compassion to remain standing beneath the cross, to stand there weeping, yet with the faith that knows that in her Son, God transfigures pain and suffering and triumphs over death. Such beautiful but sad and heartfelt words. We too stand with Mary. We learn that through these sorrows, our Blessed Mother also offers hope. She revealed seven promises to St. Bridget of Sweden in the 14th century for those who recite seven Hail Marys daily while reflecting on her tears and sorrows, according to our Sorrowful Mother's Ministry, and this is in Vandalia, Illinois. Now the ministry lists those seven promises from Mary as, one, I will grant peace to their families. Two, they will be enlightened about the divine mysteries. Three, I will console them in their pains, and I will accompany them in their work. Four, I will give them as much as they ask for, as long as it does not oppose the adorable will of my divine Son or the sanctification of their souls. Five, I will defend them in their spiritual battles with the infernal enemy, and I will protect them at every instant of their lives. I will visibly help them at the moment of their death. They will see the face of their mother. And seven, I have obtained from my divine Son that those who propagate this devotion to my tears and dolors, 
will be taken directly from this earthly life to eternal happiness, since all their sins will be forgiven, and my son and I will be their eternal consolation and joy. Now, with those amazing promises in mind, I offer the following reflections on the seven sorrows, written by Jeanette Martino-Land for St. Anthony Messenger. The first sorrow, the prophecy of Simeon, and you yourself a sword will pierce. When Mary's forty-day period of purification had almost ended, she goes to Jerusalem to fulfill the Mosaic law, and for the required offering to the Lord of every firstborn male. The law of purification does not bind Mary, always a virgin, nor does Jesus, because of who he is, have to be redeemed. Yet Mary humbly obeys. After the ceremony, imagine young Mary's amazement when Simeon takes Jesus from her arms and acknowledges him as the Messiah. Only through divine inspiration can Simeon know this. Simeon blesses them and says to Mary, And you yourself a sword will pierce. Mary shudders, and she holds Jesus close to her breast, as Joseph gently leads her out of the temple. Although Joseph is deeply shaken, his primary concern is for his wife and son. They return to Nazareth in silence, where Mary ponders these things in her heart. The second sorrow, the flight into Egypt. The angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I tell you. Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. Joseph hastily awakens Mary and relates his dream. She feels the sword's sharpness as Simeon's prophecy echoes in her heart. There is no time to worry, only time to pack a few essentials as they prepare to flee to Egypt under cover of darkness. The lengthy journey across the desert wilderness frightens Mary, but she never voices her fears to Joseph. However, she can't help but think, will there be enough food and water? How will we weather the excessive heat? What if the donkey stumbles? What if? The what-ifs could have paralyzed a person of little faith, but Mary continues to trust that God will take care of her little family's needs. None of this is recorded, so we can only imagine the hardships that the Holy Family endured while in exile. One thing is certain, nothing can sway Mary's trust in God. She never questions. She ponders, letting the things she doesn't understand simply be there in her heart in complete conformity to the divine plan. Mary is a model of cooperation with grace. Third sorrow, search for the child in Jerusalem. After three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. When his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been looking for you with great anxiety. Terror seizes Mary's heart when she discovers that her son is missing. On the third day, while walking by the temple, the anxious mother hears the sweet sound of Jesus' voice. Joseph, look! There he is among the teachers. They run to Jesus' side, and Mary, with mingled joy and sorrow, speaks words of gentle reproach to her son. Mary and Joseph realize they have a very special son, one who amazes even the teachers in the temple with his intelligence. Sometimes they whisper in Aramaic at night, sharing their innermost thoughts and concerns. Often, young Mary ponders these things in her heart while performing her daily tasks. 
grinding grain into flour to make bread, milking the goats, and spinning yarn and weaving it into clothing for her family. Sometimes, in the cool of the evening, she sits on the flat roof of their home. The pain of Simeon's prophecy and of Jesus' disappearance merging and lingering. A pain as widespread as the profusion of flowers trickling down the hillsides of Nazareth in that April of Jesus' twelfth year. The fourth sorrow. Mary meets Jesus on his way to the cross. And carrying the cross himself, a large crowd of people followed Jesus, including many women who mourned and lamented him. Mary's life remains hidden, hidden in God. A widow now, she lives an inconspicuous life, pondering and accepting the mystery of her unique role and that of her son. When news of his miracles reaches her at Nazareth, she rejoices. But the disturbing news of the tension mounting in Israel concerning an upstart named Jesus makes her apprehensive. She knows the sword is poised to pierce her heart more deeply. Yet she goes to Jerusalem for the Passover feast, hoping Jesus will be there. Mary helps prepare the Passover meal. Quickly, she dishes out the bitter herbs and vinegar and carries them to the upper room. Here, Mary participates in the first Eucharist. She comprehends all too well the full meaning of his words. We can only guess at the sequence of events. Perhaps one of the holy women finds Mary and tells her that Jesus has been arrested. I must go to him, she cries. Mary pushes her way through the shouting, cursing mob. At last, she sees her son carrying his cross. Mary's heart breaks in unspeakable sorrow at the outrage committed against his precious body. She is powerless to minister to him, except by her presence. Their eyes meet and speak volumes of love in a frozen moment of anguished silence. Trust, trust, Jesus' heart speaks to hers. His unspoken words echo in her hearing heart. With renewed strength, she walks the way of her son. The fifth sorrow, standing at the foot of the cross. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary of Magdala. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple there whom he loved, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his home. Finally, they reached the hill of execution. The cruel soldiers stretch Jesus' battered body on the cross and with heavy hammer blows drive the sharp spikes into his hands and feet. Mary's head pounds with each cruel blow. No one hears the silent scream that shatters her broken heart and echoes in the heart of God. What now takes place is all according to God's plan. Her son, the Son of God, has to suffer and die. John, the beloved disciple, puts his arm around Mary, steadying her. My precious child, she weeps, heralded at Bethlehem, now suffering an ignominious and painful death. And then... Through swollen purple lips, Jesus speaks. Mary strains to hear his words. He looks tenderly upon his mother and with great effort says, He is your son. 
He looks at the disciple and emphasizes, she is your mother. The sixth sorrow, the crucifixion and descent from the cross. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, secretly a disciple of Jesus for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate if he could remove the body of Jesus, and Pilate permitted it. So he came and took his body. Saying, It is finished, Jesus bows his head and dies. Mary remembers his words at the Passover meal. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which shall be shed for you. The dreaded time is now. The precious blood of her son is poured out for all humankind. The covenant is sealed. Jesus, her son, the Son of God, is dead. In her heart, Mary dies with him. Two broken hearts, one pierced with the spear, one pierced with sorrow, become one. Jesus and Mary, forever united for the whole human family. Mary's sorrow is all the greater because of the greatness of her love. Jesus' body is taken down from the cross and placed in her arms. Mary embraces her son with a love beyond words, beyond grief itself. For now it is the grief of a consummate sorrow. She, who had given birth to divinity, now presses the bloodied and battered remains of his humanity close to her sorrowful and shattered heart. Let it be done according to thy will, Lord, she prays. The Seventh Sorrow Assisting at the Burial of Christ The women who had come from Galilee with him followed behind, and when they had seen the tomb and the way in which his body was laid in it, they returned and prepared spices and perfumed oils. The holy women quietly prepare the spices and ointments, and they gather the winding sheet and the grave cloth according to Jewish custom. Mary, the faithful disciple, insists on helping and returns to the tomb with the women. They go about their task of washing the body with great reference and wrapping it in long strips of linen, taking great care to pack the fragrant spices including the myrrh and aloes that Nicodemus had brought, between the cloth and the body, in order to reduce the stench of death. Mary hesitates before placing the grave cloth over Jesus' face. Tenderly, she kisses him one last lingering time. John steps forward to take her hand and lead her to his home. Behind them, they hear the heavy round stone rolled forward to seal the cave. Mary's pierced heart remains united to the stilled heart of the one they had just pierced, the most sacred heart that was formed in her immaculate womb. With one languishing wail, she proclaims what others are just now beginning to believe, what she already knew, my Lord and my God. For more information on these stories or to check out Joan's blog and to ask her a question, Go to EWTN.com. That's EWTN.com. Thanks for listening to Vatican Insider on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.